Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. In the heart of Birmingham, one team to bring you your week in geek. It's the Geeky... And good afternoon, you're here with Geeky Brummy here on Brum Radio, as always. Uh, with me this week, I have the wonderful producer Keith behind the desk this week. Hello. Yeah, stepping into guys' big shoes. They're quite pongy as well, actually. <laughs> we have, as always, the master of tall tales, Mr. Philip Ellis. Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon. How are you today? I am very well, thank you. It's a bit of a drizzly one outside, but we'll try and It's lift miserable, people. but it's cheery as in here. Yes, we'll try and lift people's <laughs> spirits up. And we also have the amazing Ollie McNary. Hello, Ollie. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And you're here to talk about the Birmingham Literature Festival. Teen takeover. Teen takeover next Sunday, yes, on the yep. 9th of uh, October, running all day. Yeah. Um, Organised by a um, young guy called George Barstow, who I met a few months mm-hmm. ago at a little festival over in Coventry. Yep. Very enthusiastic about comics, and so as part of his Gold Arts Award, him and a group of teenagers have put this show together. That sounds really interesting. We'll also be talking about EGX, which is the Europe Gamer game expo that guy and i went to last week and we'll also be having our wrap-up of ice where keith managed to speak to most of the audience there yeah, quite a few not all but yeah so good it's a good selection of interviews this week this is nicole DeBoer from deep space nine and you're listening to brum radio all right so now we're here with ollie McNamee, as i said for, um, um birmingham literature festival hello how are you doing very good thank you Regardless of the weather. <laughs> yes. And you also write for Bleeding Call News as well. I do, yes, in my spare time. Yes. Two guys did you in today. <laughs> so, Birmingham Literature Festival, first time this year they're having a teen to- takeover on one of the days, which is... Little- it's the Sunday the 9th, and it's split between the library where some of the events are going on, and also yeah. Waterstones now as well. Yeah, so really, really cool. Uh, a guy called George Basto, a 19-year-old, yes. taking yes. over all day and it's really good to be a comic and literary theme episode well, very much comic related yeah with at least three events just on comics yeah so I know we've got an interview with Mike Carey uh, currently in the cinemas with Gil who with all the gifts that he's just released I can't ever hear Mr. Carey without just thinking it's Mariah Carey who's writing these uh, <laughs> who's writing these incredibly popular thrillers <laughs> that would be an interesting combination a change of direction for her I think um <laughs> No, but yeah, Mike Carey, so Girl with All the Gifts. Uh, we had him on the show a few months back, didn't we, Keith? Yeah, he was at Waterstones um, doing a bit of a promo tour, so we managed to get a bit of a chat yeah. about uh, his kind of comics thing. So yeah, it'll be a great event. Yeah, and he's got his new thriller, Fellside, out as well. Um, so what do you think of these kind of events? It's a really great way for an author to get in touch with his audience. Very much so. I mean, Mike's clearly been a been a sort of big supporter of Birmingham, having been here in April, as you said yourself, on your show. Back again here now, not only for the Comic Festival, but uh, I believe at the uh, the Mockingbird the night before, he's doing yeah. a Q&A as well for The Girl With All The Gifts. Fantastic novel. Yeah. I've yet to read Fellside. That's my job this week. Yeah. <laughs> but he's there on two panels. He's there with Liam Moore yes. and Al Davison talking about the diversity in comics. Yeah, and that's um, the true identity of comic books. That's right, it? yes. And, of course, he's later on question and answer with me mm-hmm. at 7 o'clock in Waterstones, which I'm quite nervous about. I've never done something yeah. like that before, but I'm sure I'll be all right. Yeah, so the panel sounds really interesting. Uh, we've got a little bit of information on it earlier in the week, which is looking at graphic novels and how they actually span quite a lot of spectrum of writing. It's not just all sci-fi and action and superheroes related. 
goodness me now well obviously Leah Moore's there representing the digital frontier yeah. of Electric Comics and what she's doing there yeah. is very much pushing the envelope on what's available of course Mike Carey's there not only about his work in the comics field yeah. Lucifer unwritten and uh, great titles like that yeah. of course he's there I suppose to give his perspective uh, in the industry and of course Al Davison himself working on Doctor Who worked for DC and Marvel yeah. um, they're all going to have a very different story to tell I believe yeah, I mean, uh, graphic novels are a big passion of mine. I mean, probably the biggest one of all time is going to be Watchmen, written by uh, Alan Moore, quite local gentleman. Um, it's still in the Times Top 100 reading list. I mean, Phil, what's your thought on graphic novels? Um, so, I mean, I personally, they're not sort of my, my cup of tea, but I, I do absolutely understand and respect why they're such a popular um, sort of form of, an art form, but also a form of storytelling. Um, I, I, and I think also, yeah, like, so I think Watchmen is, uh, was, was it um, named one of the top 100 novels of all yes. time? It's, it's constantly also uh, in the top crime fiction. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I think it's, you know, as a medium, you know, you can sort of tell complex and interesting stories yeah. um, through, through visuals. And, and it's sort of a, it's an interesting mix of, of art and prose. So, yeah. I mean, you get that adage: "A picture is worth a thousand words." So therefore, well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, it's, it's been it's been sort of a, a it's a kind of bulletproof as a as an art form. I think since its sort of inception in the forties and fifties, really, yeah. was that when the, the sort of the the first kind of real boom of it you know, yeah. with, with Marvel Marvel starting up. So yeah, I I, um, I I have a lot of respect for it. I think it's very cool. And 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 agree. I agree. It's not just superheroes and sci-fi. There's people like Daniel Klaus who are doing really interesting things. Yeah. And um, I cannot, for the life of me, remember the name of the the uh, woman who wrote um, Fun Home, which is a graphic memoir, I believe. Yes. And um, also Marianne Satrapi who wrote Persepolis. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I've I've dipped my toe into the sort of the memoir end of it, and yeah. and it's a very interesting way of telling your own story. I think. Yeah. And I know Leah's actually running a creating comics workshop as well on the day so that yes really that's what I'm not involved with but really looking forward to that because obviously it's teaching people the ins and outs of creating comics on a digital platform with paper and pen yeah. you know the old fashioned way of doing it yes <laughs> I mean there's nothing wrong with the old fashioned way I mean digital seems to be allowing a lot more artists through but I mean traditional art is still very much a big thing in the scene I think Keith yeah, I think the, the big thing for the digital side of it is the accessibility of it is you can still produce it the old fashioned way on crystal board with pen and paper but then if you can photograph it and scan it you can get it out in front of thousands of people through your Facebook or your Twitter or your Tumblr or whatever method you want so I think it opens up the accessibility to those kind of stories to a bit much much bigger audience um, so the digital thing is also you know in the creation but also distribution yeah, I mean you said you're running yourself a panel with Mike and yourself uh, can you explain a little bit what you'll be talking about in that panel with the panel with Mike early yeah. later on it's a question and answer so I've contacted Mike he wants to do a reading I'm sure there'll be more than enough questions from the audience and certainly I hope we can get questions from the audience but we're going to be talking very much about his career today certainly covering comics that's why he's there as well as covering his experience of writing a novel and how different turning a novel into a screenplay becomes and then if we've got time, as I said, we'll talk to him about his his uh, return to the world of the girl with all the gifts. He just announced yeah. he's going to be doing a prequel coming out in spring. And hopefully you can have him on a show again then. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. I mean, I haven't had a chance to watch the film yet, but the concept of it sounds so much better than the standard zombie blockbuster that we're used to where it's just straight into a... What I quite like about it is, um, so the, the book was one of the 
most popular um, sort of charting novels last year. The film is, you know, this sort of big, big event. Um, and yet I'm kind of, I quite like that. I don't really know what it's about other than it, that it is a zombie story. I don't yeah. know. And, and it's kind of quite rare um, for a, a big movie, you know, for the marketing not to spoil all of it, it for you yeah. in, the, in the lead up to the release. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm enjoying the idea that I'm going to be able to walk in and have next to no idea what's happening or what's going to, what's going to, yeah. you know, what the story's going to involve. And I think it's very rare that we have that, especially in sort of the, the thriller genre where so much, so much of it gets, you know, all those amazing moments get packed into the trailer. Yeah. They've kept it really minimal. Yeah. I mean, you've got some great actors in there. You've got Glenn Coase, Gemma Arterton, Paddy Constantine. Mm, so they've yeah. done a really good selection of actors and character actors I think they picked for this one. Yeah, it's also a very modestly budgeted film as well. It's not kind of like, you know, $150 million thrown at the screen. They've actually taken the kind of small budget they've had and done something really interesting with it, you know, and obviously parts of it were filmed in and around Birmingham, so we've got a vested interest in it being <laughs> a and bringing We wanted to do well. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but it's, 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 it's a story that's translated well to the screen and has been convincing and it's picking up lots of really positive reviews, so people are kind of engaging with it and, and finding something really uh, exciting about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the literature festival itself is on over 10 days, isn't it, Ollie? Yes. It was between the 6th and the 16th of October, so any particular highlights you're looking forward to, apart um, from your own stuff, of course? I mean, certainly there is a showing of a documentary exclusively on Thursday. I mean, obviously people can go onto the Birmingham Literature Festival website and find out everything. Yeah. But my interest and my focus is next Sunday on, on this sort of teen takeover. Yeah. But I think the great thing about the world of, of books and comics is there is something for everyone. I mean, we're talking about the diversity of comics. Yeah. And certainly going back to The Watchmen, that's 1986, and that's a whodunit yeah. with people in tights. There's only Doctor <laughs> Man out in the whole thing with superpowers, and yeah. that's what I find fascinating. You take that away, and what you've got is a magnificent whodunit. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think... There is something for everyone. I mean, I tell my pupils, particularly the boys who don't read, they're not the reluctant readers, they don't read like I didn't read. Yeah. I say, go out there, have a look. And certainly I think with some of the things Mike Carey's written, certainly the four launch titles on uh, Liam Moore's um, Electric Comics yeah. launch site, there is something out there, and I think it's just a question of finding what you enjoy and then spreading your wings from there. I mean, and that's another thing that I really appreciate with comics over the last few few years is it is now being appreciated as literature rather than just throwaway content, which is, I mean, a lot of people think graphic novels is just a compendium of issues of released yeah. weekly books, and it's it's actually its own defined medium now. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of plenty of good titles out there for for all kinds of readers, and lots of them have been translated into very successful films. You've got kind of like. Um, Road to Perdition yeah. and, uh, and what I can't remember, End of Violence. Um, you know, all of those kind of yeah. films people don't realise were originally graphic novels and things like, you know, you've got things like Mouse that everybody's heard of that yeah. tells yes. very personal stories in a way that becomes accessible. Uh, and it's, you know, I speak to young people that have read that and they can't believe, you know, how affecting it was. You know, to read that story, they didn't realise that you could tell that story in such a way. So graphic novels is a way to get lots of important information about historical events and the, the real things that have happened to people, yeah. um, you know, through, through a medium that is accessible to young people. I mean, I think as this is a teen takeover, it's a great way to attract a younger audience to something like a literature festival where some people might be turned away due to the title of it. I mean, George seems to have got some amazing people involved in this. And it's all down to George, really, sort of 
you know, plodding away at convention after convention, meeting with these people. I know, again, he was speaking to Liam Moore a year ago. Yeah. He saw Mike Ter- Carey, met him. Um, you know, a few of the people he spoke to, those fell through. But what he's got here is, you know, a huge start to something I hope Birmingham, whether it's the Literature Festival or the Comics Festival next June that I'm involved with, takes to heart. I think, yeah. you know, we've got such a big history. Birmingham had the first comic convention in 1968, and we've built and built since then. And we've got the second oldest comic book store in the country, of course, in the Stoudrin Comics. So it's kind of like Birmingham does have this pedigree now where, and there's quite a lot of good local artists. So you've got Charlie Adlard, who we've spoken to before the show, yes. Walking Dead Around the Corner, and Joe Carrick's blood comic which is one of the most successful independent comics, yeah we've so. got you know we've got hunt emerson and um mike collins and stuff phil People, winsley yeah there's, there's loads of uh, incredible creators locally well mm-hmm. i was amazed when i was sitting in a pub i don't do it often of course one christmas with the nostalgia and comics crew and uh, sitting next to me was you know inca extraordinaire mark farmer and of course i'd grown up with him on captain america and working <laughs> with alan davis and it was just you know, and a lot of these guys always meet your heroes in comics. They're, they, not one of them has ever let me down. And I'm sure you can say the same things for you lot. Indeed. Definitely. So where can we find more information about the TakeOver and the Birmingham Literature Festival? Well, certainly I'm going to be getting uh, my own tweets out there. But Birmingham Literature Festival's got its own website. Go looking for that. That yeah, will put you I think it is. I think it might be .org or .uk. It's I'm .org, yeah. Thank you, Keith. Um, but then, of course, it's just looking on Facebook at these pages, following the authors who are involved as well. You know, we have got a huge yeah. l- literary, you know, not just comics I- in Birmingham. We've got, you know, a lot of these literature giants as well. And clearly, people like Mike Carey like coming back to Birmingham. Yeah, and slight segue. Uh, literature, Birmingham, Tortell, <laughs> Philip Ellis, just into season That two. was seamless. <laughs> <laughs> So Philip does a tall tale series of spoken word stories on Brum Radio. It's just started season two last Tuesday. So yes. it's a brilliant way of getting young authors involved and getting a spoken word version of your book out. I'll have to speak to you about that off air later. Absolutely, yes. No, um, we we um, I, I mean, well, I I love um, sort of all forms of storytelling, whether that is you know sort of prose or radio fiction and drama. Um, and yeah, I, I I'm looking forward to the festival. Um, I I went to a lot of it last year, and I really I'm really looking forward to the team takeover i went to the launch of the program um, yeah. earlier this year and that was the sort of the stand where we had like, sort of george did a little spiel for it and it was um that that was the bit that sort of appealed to me the most and and, and some of the ya authors that you've got coming in as well because that as well as comics i think young adult stuff tends to get written off as um sort of not yeah. proper literature yeah and i think you know you've got like the big tentpole things like the hunger games which are kind of you know perhaps and the divergent series and 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 they become you know sort of homogenous generic um dystopian schlock but um but there's a lot of really high quality stuff in there as well you know you've got things like the outsiders that was a young adult novel you've got you know if you think about harry potter that pretty much started out as a children's book that morphed it absolutely did and i mean if if i'm honest that kind of needs to be reined in and forgotten now um because (laughs) it's you know jk rowling's on twitter milking that for all it's worth and and perhaps you know overshadowing some newer more exciting storytelling that's going on um so i'm looking forward personally to um juno dawson coming up and talking about um being the self-proclaimed queen of teen i think that's going to be an interesting one yeah so uh, you can find loads of information about Birmingham Literature Festival, as I said, on the website. The Twitter's at BHamletFest. Yeah, BHamletFest. <laughs> Get there eventually. Uh, thanks very much for coming in to, to us, Holly. Thanks for inviting me in, Ryan. I'm Batman, and I listen to the Geeky Brummy Show every Saturday at noon on Brum Radio. It's time to play Top Drums. 
Alright, so it's time to play Top Trumps again. Guy, you have picked out the pack for this week. And we have a special guest here with Captain Kirk. How you doing? Nice to see you. Alright, so do you want to let us know what this set is? Yeah, I, I Kurt, a few weeks ago me and Kurt were talking about what is the worst pack of Top Trumps of all time. And I think I found it. These are Top Trumps Very Specials. The Royal Wedding. Yeah. See, to me, the Royal Wedding still means Charles and Diana. Because <laughs> I can remember being a child and we had the special annual. Not um, Andrew on, and on Fergie. Our coffee table. Not Andrew and Fergie. Oh no no no. <laughs> she's she's not a royal. <laughs> well, wasn't there one on Dynasty as well with Michael yes. Fraden's movie? That was a proper royal wedding. Right, so let's get into it. Kirk, I'll let you pick the first category and just Ooh. tell us who it is that you're playing. It's a tough one. I, this is the the worst one. Um, do you know what? I'm gonna go for style icon. Ooh. And I think the way this was highest wins. Yeah, yeah, highest wins. Who have you got? I'm going for Sir Alton John. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. yes. I'm feeling confident on this one. I'm gonna go just for What's comedy. You know, sorry. What? What's oh, the rating? We need the score. We need 18. the rating. Eighteen. Eighteen. What? I'm gonna go for comedy value. Nicholas Witchell, BBC <laughs> style icon zero. Who? The that BBC, man. BBC man. BBC oh, royal what does he correspondent. Do for most of the year when he's when there's not a royal wedding. Oh, I don't know. He sort of walks the corgi, so <laughs> sets up sets up royal dates. Yeah, I was gonna say the I, th I thought Jenny Bond was the royal correspondent. No, no she quit. Yeah. <sighs> but there's a very I loved her. There's a clip of footage online of Prince Charles talking about this and. He basically points to Nicholas Witchell and says to um, the two sons, I hate that man. <laughs> hilarious. Really watch it on YouTube if you ever can find it. It's so funny. Keith? Uh, I'm, well, he's, a, he's an awesome style icon. Uh, Prince Charles, strangely Ooh. enough, scores 10 points less than Elton John. Well, he's just a lowly eight. Okay, I'm going to let you go next. No, no, I no. A, I have I, a feeling that I've got the winning card here. You go and then we'll see. Kate Middleton, aka The Bride, mm -hmm. with style icon ranking of 20. Oh! oh. Well, robbed. <laughs> I have the legendary style icon that is Camilla Parker Bowles. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that hat was pretty sharp, actually. I mean, the, the barber is well known throughout the world yeah. due to Camilla Parker Bowles, but she only has a lowly style icon rating of 10. Oh. So Phil wins that round. Phil. Oh. Next category. Ooh, can I go? You can go, yes. I've got big day rating, 100. Prince William, come on! <laughs> <laughs> disappointing, disappointing. Kirk? Um, oh, it's tough. Um, Nicholas Witchell isn't walking them. I have the Corgis. There's another man, <laughs> Butler-esque. Um, but the Corgis, they only have 50? 50? There's loads, loads of them. Oh, Surely that should be a group point score. Keith? Strangely enough, she didn't have as much of a big day. What was it? What What was the category? Big, big day, day rating. Big yeah. day rating. Pippa Middleton. Ooh. Apparently. I don't know who she is. Uh, 92. <laughs> 92? That's high, I, uh, I feel like I, I played the Kate card you know, too soon. <laughs> she had a she had a pretty good rating. But um, I'm going to play Mother of the Bride, Carol Middleton, with a big day rating of 90. Cool. All right, I'm going to play His Royal Highness, Mr. Sweary, Prince Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Big day rating only of 72. Oh. Quite worried. All right, so. Oh, I won. Yes, Guy. Oh, well, tell you what, I'm going to pick the last one. I'm going to go with Princess Diana. 
who, even though she wasn't at the wedding, is in the deck of top drums. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, progenerate, progenerate, progenerate. Mother. Giving birth to the children. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> progenitor. That's where it is. That's where I was trying to aim for. Um, VIP rating of nine. Oh, oh. I'm. <laughs> what wireless garbage is this? <laughs> I'm going to go with David and Samantha Cameron, who were, you know, was this still the then ham- prime? It feels like such the a long time ago. Man, yes. It was. Uh, it was pre uh, Black Mirror game. Yes. Um, VIP rating of seven. Wow. I've got somebody who was actually there on the day, <laughs> strangely. Um, possibly the best man, I don't know. He's some ginger geezer who I don't recognise. <laughs> Harry, <laughs> Harry Prince, Prince Harry. He only it's got eight. And he was there. Oh, well, I've ended up with the guy who probably married them. I've got the Archbishop of Canterbury. VIP uh, seven. Ooh. And he's got an awesome hat on. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got some bloke called John Haley, landlord of the old boot inn. VIP two. What? <laughs> <laughs> who is that? I don't know. I'm sure he was probably only invited to the reception. Oh, John Haley has grown accustomed to serving drinks and dinner to the Middletons. Wow. Impressive. So basically, he's a waiter. Right. There wasn't that many cards in this pack. No. Surely they could have found somebody else that went. No. Well, that's where are the princess? You know, what's it? Beatrice and Eugenie cards. They should, have, they should have had a silly hat point. <laughs> <laughs> where are yes. the horses that took the carriage? I'm assuming they were horses. I didn't watch this one, yeah. so I'm assuming they were horses. All right, so ends on a three-way tie to victory speeches. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I wish I'd been there with my big victory. I deserve another VIP list, really. Um, I'm a Republican and I think the royal family is an outdated concept so that's that's all I have to say we apologise for Philip <laughs> <laughs> and I want to thank the candle in the wind that was Princess Diana <laughs> Kirk how was your experience with Top Trumps was it everything you expected it to be and more so it was absolutely <laughs> wonderful thank you hi this is Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers in the 25th century and you're listening to Brum Radio now we have on the phone George and Dave who are in Teesside Comics Festival hello both hello Hello. Hello. Hey How are you doing? Hello. Good to hear. We're, good. You. we're missing you. <laughs> yes, uh, we're missing you too. I mean, how is it up north in the grim wastelands that is past the wall? <laughs> <laughs> we are not the wall is pretty far so far. We're <laughs> going well. We've been watching a. a Interesting. So, uh, awesome. yeah. So you're actually judging the complex cosplay competition up there this week, aren't you? We are. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited to do. I was always really well cosplaying it. The more things go hard to cosplay. Yeah, we're we're a Mm-hmm. Cool. And who's up there at Teesside this week? We only got three Doctor Who's, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Three, impressive. Time Walker, the best of the point, Mhm. Sorry, we lost we you a little bit there. Uh, Sam How's that? Yeah, that's a bit better. Sorry, we lost you for a little bit there. Okay. They got Colin Baker there. <laughs> and who else yeah. we got there? Smith McCoy and uh, Peter Davison. Peter Davison. What do you need? And we also have um, Sam McDonald from this uh, Comics. Ooh, really cool. He's giving a talk giving a talk there as well. Cool. Yeah. And of course the usual amazing array of cosplay, including a full size Chewbacca. Oh, you can't go wrong with the full. I love the fact you have to precursor that with a full, a full size Chewbacca, not a mini Chewbacca. A full size Chewbacca, an actual one. Yeah. So any, 
how's the shopping been so far? I've managed to re restrain Dave from buying the entirety of the comment convention. We've been reasonably well behaved. We bought a lot of Lego, as usual. Yes, we finally found Lego Rogue. We were looking for a Lego Rogue figure before from Lego. We found, we found two versions, 90s and the, the, more, the more recent one. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, you're trying to find that out, Ice, weren't you? <laughs> cool. Yeah, we were. <laughs> You'll have to you'll have to send us some photographs of that, George. Yeah, send us some photos and we'll put, we will, put them up on. We'll send some back with some of the awesome cosplayers. Well. Brilliant. So we'll put those up on Facebook and Twitter later on when we get those up. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. Uh, we're gonna have to run. Sorry, it's a ridiculously packed show this week, but enjoy it, and we'll see you back next week. See you next yeah, week. See you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. Right. So thanks very much to. George and Dave for joining us there via remote phone. It's almost like technology is useful nowadays, isn't it? It's, 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 I'm startled at how amazing that you know we could we could phone them. Then they were a long way away. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. So next we're going to go into a little bit of conversation that I had with a few developers and people at European Game Expo last week. So me and Guy were wandering around, basically shoving the microphone in people's faces and saying, speak to us please, please, <laughs> as we do with Brum Radio. So we first started off with Christian West from Motorsport Manager, which is actually due for release in a couple of weeks. Um, and then we spoke to Jeff Spock from Endless Space 2. Uh, we spoke to Danny, who had some very rare video game vinyls, the Hotline Miami soundtrack, which Guy picked up, and Ollie Gledhill, who was uh, one of Guy's friends and a punter there. So we're just going to quickly go into those, and then we'll be back with you shortly. Bye. So I'm here with Christian West, amazing developer, one of my favourite all-time Android and iOS yes. apps, which is Motorsport Manager, which many too late nights play <laughs> into the <laughs> evening where I should be really sleeping. Uh, hello. Hello. Hi. Yeah. I'm Christian West. I'm the technical director mm. at PlaySport, and we've been working on Motorsport Manager for about a year. Yeah. Because this was um, started off, as I said, as an Android little indie kind of app, wasn't it? And now it's going yeah. to be on PC as a massive full-play thing with sort of Sega, of course. Yeah. So, can you explain how that process happened? So, the, the mobile game came out about two years ago. Uh, it went, went to number one in the charts, it reviewed really well, and uh, I got put in contact with Sega, who, who played it, who really enjoyed it, really liked it, and you know, with their, their history with Football Manager, it seemed like a natural, natural home to take Motorsport Manager to, and, and PC as well. It's kind of the spiritual home of strategy games, and really where I wanted to take the game. You can do so much more on PC, so rather than being little dots racing around like the mobile version, we can now have nice 3D rendered um, racetracks. You can see the high detail, you can see the cars now properly on the racetrack, the drivers take racing lines and make mistakes in the corners, you can see the rain on the camera, you can see the rain building on the racetrack and the spray coming off the back of the cars, and all of this kind of helps the player make better strategy decisions on race day, so it's come a long way, it's come yeah. a long way. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. an amazing one. As I said, this is a fully, fully featured sim, so you're going to have issues with racing drivers, issues with team bosses, sponsorship yeah. issues, building and developing your sites, so it's massively larger than the mobile app, which is still a massively fun <laughs> game. So what you, how do you think you've nailed that experience of being a team boss? Well, we've kind of divided it into, into two core areas, really. You have the, the race day itself, where you take the car you, you know, and the drivers you've hired and you race them against rivals and you're making those kind of split-second strategy decisions to win races. And it's a 
reacting to weather, reacting to crashes, reacting to damage on your car, reacting to kind of what your drivers want to do and what your rivals are up to. And that can be kind of quite an intense, exciting experience as you're balancing between your two drivers and trying to get the best result possible for them. And then the other side of it is like kind of more longer term management strategy. So after the race day, you get back to your headquarters and you look at developing your car for the next race. And you know, if you're limited on, on aerodynamics and you're not getting enough speed through the corners, you can start investing in your, in your headquarters and building your wind tunnel or a test track to improve your drivers or signing maybe the new world champion driver and trying to get him to your team or her to your team. And, um, so the, two, the game's kind of split into two, you have a bit more of a kind of long-term, chilled-out strategy side around building the car, signing sponsorship deals, and then kind of more intense race days themselves. And one of my favourite things about the Android app is you start off with like the British or Australian okay. circuit and then you work your way up and it's that, that progression really intensifies and makes the game such an amazing thing on the app and that's probably why it's one of the most auto-best <laughs> applications. But is that kind of the spirit you're going to try, try and take forward into the PC game? Yeah, there's, an, there's definitely an element of that. So you, you can play the game in, in a different way. So you can choose to start your career at a low-level team and, and take a team that's not doing very well in a low-tier championship and take them up to the, the World Motorsport Championship. And that's, kind of, that's very similar to what you would have experienced I guess, in the mobile game. But you can also jump in right at the top. So you can take over a team that, that expects to win. But with that comes the extra pressure. And the difference in the mobile game is you can get fired this time around. So you have the pressure from the chairman and from the fans, and you know if you've invested a lot in a team, you're going to want to stay there. So if you take over a team at the top, you've got to be winning championships from day one. It, it, there's a lot more money throwing around, but you get a lot more pressure with it. So it's, it's a different experience. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. people expecting the kind of football manager experience where you get to pick either the top top tier team or yeah. pick your conference team and take them all the way up. That's the kind of feel like you get from the game. You will, you will. I'm one of those players that always goes in right at the top because I want to be signing drivers for fifteen million pounds and, and investing millions of pounds in my car. But after a while, I'm like, okay, let's change the challenge. Let's, let's go to one of the lower teams. And I'm going to try and get them up to the top team. And this time you'll be racing against the same teams, the same drivers, season after season, until they retire and, and new people come through the ranks. But it means that you could you could try and take that younger team, get them to the top and race the team you used to manage and hopefully go and beat them. Yeah, so it's a really cool challenge to have. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, one of the big fairy tale stories that was in F1 a few years ago with Braun GP, where yeah. you can have that kind of experience of brand new team and see, yeah. see how much you can beat the big boys. And yeah. It sounds like a really interesting bit of the game. Uh, as I said, it's coming soon. I'm assuming it's Steam, the usual channels that you can find it. Yeah, it's coming, coming to Steam, so it was available on PC, Mac, and Linux. Uh, it's coming later in the year as well. Yeah, so it's great to hear a game coming out on Linux because that's a very. Yeah. Underloved part of the PC game, so it, it I mean, fits the strategy kind of market definitely. And uh, any future little glimpses of information you can say, or motorsport manager to <laughs> development yet? Um, well, we've got workshop support coming, Steam workshop support coming, so players will be able to add themselves to the games. So we've got the databases will be available for players to edit, they'll be able to add. You know their own stuff, so you could add yourself as a driver if you wanted to, and try and do neg driver negotiations with yourself, <laughs> which would be really interesting. Yeah. So there's there's workshop support, and we've also got some DLC on the way, so there's going to be some extra things for people to do as well. That sounds absolutely amazing. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. And we'll speak to you. Cheers. Thank you very much. 
I'm sat here now with Jeff Spock, amazing creative director and lead writer for Amplitude <laughs> Studios, uh, creator of most of the writing I assume for Endless Legend, Endless Space One. Yeah. Uh, he did one of my favourite all time games, which was Dark and Sorrow, Might and Magic. Yeah, which I okay. really love that game. I mean, uh, really, it's really, really expensive. I love running into fans of that game. I, we were the whole team was so proud of that. It just yeah, didn't get the sales. No, and it, it was a brilliant game to play. It was a uh, great good. way to introduce that to the consoles. Uh, great. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's really a pleasure. Yeah. 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 That was that was uh, that was one of the that was maybe the first game I worked on actually. Mm-hmm. Like ever, I, I had a very fortunate career. But uh, yeah. Was, anyway, sorry. <laughs> so in between writing amazing games, you also are a sci-fi writer as well. So you got a, a massive backlog. So with Endless Space Two got Endless Space 1 now to build on, which I assume was a massive amount of writing and content creation, and how are you developing that for Endless Space 2? Right, I think Endless Space 1, um, you know, it was the first time, actually it was the first 4X strategy game I'd ever written for, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't think it did that great a job of it. Um, thankfully, you know, it's sold well enough that we could do Endless Legend, which is yeah. an improvement. Um, we spent an awful lot of time on the universe itself, because one of our big... One of our big concerns is that, um, particularly because, you know, the first X of the four X is exploration. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted to have this sort of universe and have this depth and this history and this mystery to it. Uh, you know, I use the example of the Indiana Jones kind of thing, where you go out and, oh, there's, there's a ruin, and you want to dig in there and see what you find, yeah. and, you know, something. And so, you know, that aspect, of the fact that it's also, the universe is also um, more science fantasy than science fiction. We wanted more of the... Star Wars, Force, Dune, Spice, touch of magic to the futurism. I, I, on the tech tree, I like to keep the science science because that's yeah. important to me. Um, but, you know, you wanted that kind of sense of wonder that, that you yeah. really, I think you really need a little bit of magic in there to really make it work. So, so space was mostly um, an awful lot of content, but just as far as like describing the technologies, uh, describing the ship modules, that kind of thing. Uh, and then the universe history. But the universe history ended up not making it into the game that much. And that was this feedback we got, that it was it was fun to play, but it felt kind of sterile and cold and empty. You know, which which to, which <laughs> which is like, oh, well, then we put the narrative director's head on a block because he did a bad job, right? Yeah. Um, so when Legend came around, we said, okay, we're, we're going to have more events. We're going to add some quests. And the big thing we added was the faction quest, where you choose a people that you're going to play for maybe about two-thirds of the game you're actually going to sort of live a story that tell you something about their history, about the history of the world, and that kind of thing. And that, that, I mean, that's a real traditional sort of narrative thread in this very non-traditional uh, 4X game, because you really, it's really hard to put a, a classic story in 4X, because they are randomly generated. Yeah, and you've got that many races. I imagine the narrative direction when you're doing with multiple races, I think it's 12 that you've got in the space. Uh, yeah, well, two, we're going we're to launch with eight when the final version comes yeah. out. I think mm-hmm. we have up to 12 in Legend now. Yeah, with the next one coming out. So yeah, yeah. So it's, I imagine writing a thread that cooperates with all the other well, player race choices, and you've got to carry that all the way through with them. It must be a bit of a mammoth task. Exactly. No, I mean, that, precisely. So what, what happens is, uh, what for what happens for me in a four X game is it's no longer uh, a story that's created and put in the game by the design team. And there are so many amazing ones like that. I always use like uh, Last of Us. 
I mean, these yeah. kinds of games That's just have... fully scripted. Stuff. They're fully scripted, and, yeah. and the mechanics are a great engine for the story, and the story meshes with the mechanics, and that's gorgeous. The problem in 4X and the randomly generated thing is you... You, 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 you can't procedurally generate a story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, exactly. It makes it very difficult. So the idea is that we, each faction has a very individual story, but they're all part of this dying planet in its, in its legend. Mm -hmm. And the theme of the dying planet is kind of the unifying theme that pulls all the stories together. So, narratively, written text on paper that I do, there's no real unifying story of all the factions. It's really the setting and the mechanics that bring, the, that, that bring all those stories together. And that's, again, we're going to try to do an endless space. We're going to have, I think, better, some better faction stories, a little more flexible, but there'll also be this sort of meta-plot background story that's happening that's going to bring things together and sort of explain some events that happened earlier. Yeah, and with endless space, do you really time and space battles as well, so you're going to have this complete, not dichotomy, but uh, that have that amazing 4X background with some real-time strategy mixed in, it sounds like to be a really fun yeah, way of blending that together. Yeah, with the, we're spending a lot of time redoing the battles, both designers and programmers, there's a huge amount of iteration trying to get that right, because one of the things that we, we sort of figured is, in our games you don't play uh, the captain of a ship, you play the leader of the empire. Yep. So you're not in there saying, okay, turret three, fire at that guy. What you're doing is you're, you know, you choose your ships, you choose your battle, you choose where you have it, you choose how your ships are equipped, and then you hope it works out because you're the emperor, you're a billion miles away, there's nothing you can do about it. So you use an analogy, probably like Ender and Ender's game where you get fleet yeah. down, it's kind of... Exactly, and, 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 and you hope you the captains <laughs> don't mess up and they go do their thing exactly, Ender's yeah. game. So that's a very good analogy, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like it's been an amazing, fun experience. I mean, it sounds like it's really building on both Endless Space 1, which did such amazing things with the Unity engine, and Endless Legend, where you can pull that fancy into the sci-fi aspect. And it sounds like a really fun release, and now you've got Sega behind you as well, which is really going to help. Yeah, it's, it's already made a huge difference for us. It's been, it's been really good becoming part of the Sega family, because they just have the, the organization, the resources, and these, and these skills for the in all these areas that, you know, I think we develop really good games, but that's kind of like where our competence stops. <laughs> and there's a lot more to just game development yeah. if you want to stay afloat. And, and all of a sudden, Sega brings all these, all the these abilities and the logistics and everything. Yeah. And that's, yeah, so for us, it's a, it's a boon. And it's, um, we're really happy about that, actually. Mm -hmm. So, what is your favorite part of Endless Space 2? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Like, you know... Uh, you've got your 4Xs, so you've got explore, expand, yeah. exploit, and exterminate. So, yeah. a lot of I people play it a very different way. I'm very much an exploration player. I mean, even when I was playing the World of Warcraft, I only leveled so I could explore new places. That's basically yeah. all the game meant to me. Um, so I really, that's that's the thing that really gets me. And I, and I, I think because we have a I'm really, really proud of our art department. It makes, makes these gorgeous places. You just want to explore, and you explore a place, and you get this 2D image of what you're seeing pop up, and that's just gorgeous. That's, you know, yeah. There's a real thrill for me. I think, for me, the first X is the one that, that, that I really enjoy in our games, and it's for a number of reasons. That's, that's my style of gameplay, and everyone's going to be different. And having galactic races, you can go and explore new worlds, really brings that out. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly what we're trying to go for. You know, that sense of wonder, that sense of, of limitless, that, dare I say, endless sort of <laughs> sense of, you know, adventure and opportunity yeah. and possibility. Yeah. That's great. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Geeky Brummy on Brum Radio. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's the same thing <laughs> twice. I'm getting it now. <laughs> 
So my name's Danny, I'm from Lace Records and uh, we release uh, video game soundtracks uh, digitally, CD and uh, deluxe vinyls. So how, do you, how important do you feel that like, the video game soundtrack market's become? Because myself, as a massive vinyl collector, I've seen like, a surge in game soundtracks coming, being released on vinyl. It's becoming quite lucrative as a business, I believe. Um, it can be. Uh, it's also um, it's a very expensive medium to work with, so it's also, you know, uh, a lot of it is a labour of love. But it's, um, I don't know, it's interesting. It's really nice to see sort of an old format coming back, especially mixing with such a digital, you know, technology. So obviously gaming now, there's not so many physical games being released. A lot of it is moving on to Steam uh, and PlayStation Download, Xbox and all the same. So there's not as much physical product so to be able to have something in vinyl that's from this game but uh, you know that you can actually hold in your hands I think it's, it's, it's quite a nice resurgence of something so uh, yeah I think it's good it seems good for the market and how do you, important do you feel like the soundtrack is to a video game because I remember growing up obviously you've got your, your Mario themes and stuff like that but now it's you know it's becoming almost like Hollywood so like you know proper songs and proper artists are contributing to video games and do you feel that is important going forward to games yeah definitely um yeah, massively. I mean, you see, so I'm kind of a fan of, I like the compilation side of things. So, you know, curating a good soundtrack. I mean, obviously a lot of people, if you look into the film world, would relate to something like the Drive soundtrack, which is, you know, one of the best curated soundtracks of the last sort of 15 years. Um, and obviously, you know, mentioning what you guys might be playing on the show with Hotline Miami, uh, that was also, you know, a curated soundtrack by artists who really um, were, you know, fairly unknown before this game came out. And uh, off the back of it, with the sort of feeling of the game and with the music that the creators chose, it actually managed to create, um, you know, actual full-on careers. So a lot of the artists now on Hotline Miami are actually touring, uh, you know, the world. So Perturbator is just about to go on a big European tour. He's released several albums and um, same with a few of the other artists. So it's a, it's a good format for new musicians to get in with, you know, the indie games to find a new audience. Um, and then obviously you've got the big huge soundtracks um, which you know obviously scored from scratch and just the quality of those now is yeah as you say the same as like a Hollywood film and I'm sure some of the budgets are probably about the same as well Fantastic and where can we find out more about your soundtracks and your label? Uh, so you can head over to lacedrecords.com uh, where you can purchase the vinyls and we're just about to launch uh, a, a new blog which is uh, Laced With Wax where we're going to have people coming on and discussing uh, their love of video game soundtracks and everything else in between. Fantastic, thank you very much. Thank you. So I'm here with uh, a good friend of mine, Mr Ollie Gladiel, who's come for the day. Hello. How are you feeling? Are you enjoying it? Ah, it's a brilliant day. Great, great venue. Uh, plenty of games to play. We've uh, playing some retro classics. We've just been playing a bit of uh, Mario Kart on the SNES. Of one, of course. Nice. We should be playing on a BBC micro. <laughs> oh no, not this year. We did last year. Um, it's a cracking event though for the, all the retro stuff. Uh, we're currently queuing though for uh, Battlefield One. So uh, just, just looking forward to trying that out. Just tried out uh, Horizon New Dawn. Um, pretty, pretty cool. Looking forward to it. Comes out in March, I think, next year. So a bit of a long wait, but yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's good. And what have you tried this morning so far? Call of Duty, that was a uh, standard, standard thing, but uh, yeah, no, looking forward to Battlefield 1 really, that's why I'm here. I know we've had the beta last week, but it's going to be good, it's going to be good. Anything else you might try and get in before the day's over? Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Final Fantasy 15, so 
so I want to get on that. There's uh, a few stores, well, get it on the PS4 really. Checking out the, uh, tell you what looks awesome, um, is the PS4 Pro. Uh, there's, there's none of them here, but there's a video on a massive 80-inch Sony TV, and it looks unreal. Really? It looks absolutely brilliant, so nice. looking forward to that. It's going to be class, going to be class. What's the uh, strangest thing you've seen today? <laughs> the cosplay, some of it is uh, unbelievable. We saw a guy with uh, a chef's hat that was pulled completely over his head with uh, eye holes cut out, and he just said, it's scrawled on the back, where is the chef? <laughs> it was bizarre. <laughs> cool, so you've been coming back next year? Um... Oh, definitely, definitely. It's a yearly event, definitely. So thanks for talking to us, Mr. Gladwell. It's geeky goings on. Yes, it is Geeky Goings On. It's time for our cultural wrap-up for the week, and we have a special guest joining us this week, Mr. Hadsley. Hello. Hello, Ryan. How are all your geeks today? <laughs> all right. Thank you. Yourself? <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's a good day for me, actually. I'm available to be on the show. I'm happy. Yes, you're like Orson from Morgan Mindy in the... <laughs> it's very loud. <laughs> ...dispossessed voice in the background. Right, so we're going to have to be really quick this week because we've still got loads of ice content to give you for our second hour this week first thing is the return of Red Dwarf Paul yeah, Keith yeah. you watched episodes one and two I've seen one and two yes I think three's out there on, on demand but I've seen the first two I like episode two really quite a lot it's one of my favourite jokes in all of Red Dwarf in episode two but I won't spoil it um, but they have been high quality I think Baby Cow who make some quality comedy I'm sure yeah. people know about have come on board and yeah I think there's obviously a bit higher budget this year and filming two series uh, in one go was a good idea so they can get it all done but yeah it looks good yep. it's still funny and they've actually worked on the characters which is a good thing so it's a ca- more character based than just sci-fi plots but there's some good sci-fi stuff as well yeah I mean it's a geek legendary show Keith your thoughts so far I'm enjoying it so far first two episodes have been pretty good um, second episode by far is the better one because they concentrate on a couple of characters uh, and yeah. they give Cat a bit more to do because he's, he's always been one of my favourite characters but I'm still kind of obsessed at watching because they show a classic episode after it when they put it out on Dave <laughs> and he's just go, oh my god how different have they changed and I know Robert Llewellyn was really happy about the fact that everybody tweeted him after the yeah. first episode saying has Crichton got yeah. extra body work in his midriff nowadays <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was a joke with sort of robotic nipples we had to actually wear like a fat suit underneath it just to like for the jokes it looked even worse than one of the episodes but yeah the makeup because he's older now the makeup doesn't look as good for Crichton but you can get over these things Crichton's look different than every series anyway they've always changed it so it's just, it's just yeah. what it is yeah. little things. as long as it's funny I mean, it doesn't really matter does it we still don't know which river we're watching we'll never know I don't think but yeah. we'll never know about any of the long term fan continuity but as long as it makes you laugh that's all that matters Right, moving on. Luke Cage, season one. Phil, you watched a little bit of it? Yes, so I, I watched the first um, four episodes last night. Um, so my take on it so far is it's it's stylish, it's very cool. It's, it's immediately got an identity that's completely different to Daredevil and Jessica Jones. Yeah. It's got a much um, more kind of unique aesthetic. It's really gone for the Harlem um, sort of... Like you know, nodding back to the black exploitation roots of Luke Cage, he's got an amazing soundtrack. The just the, the style and the vibe of it is really really cool. The cast are all amazing. Everyone is stunning. Um, the plot itself is a bit weak at the moment. It's sort of you know, it's a it's a kind of generic 
um, sort of urban gangster plot. Um, it feels like a bit of a retread of the Wilson Fisk bit from Daredevil. But I, I've got my, I've got high hopes that it's gonna. It's sort of all leading up to something a bit more compelling. Yeah, I mean, I've watched the trailer. That's about as far as I've got because yeah. it dropped pretty much last night at midnight. Um, <laughs> yes. The second trailer was very funny where you got Method Man just popping up at the very end of it with with this track playing throughout the trailer. Yeah. That was really fun. But I'm, I mean, I trust Net Netflix inherently now with their. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, you know, both seasons of Daredevil were, were brilliant. I mean, I, I really am waiting for season two of Jessica Jones. That has been my favourite. Yeah. But um, I mean, I'm looking forward just to see sort of what characters from Daredevil and Jessica Jones kind of you know pop up in in uh, Luke Cage because I do like how they do build that ex- extended yeah. world by by kind of having those little overlaps. Yeah. So, I, don't, yeah. I don't think it's anything of a spoiler to say that Rosaria Dawson's character from both. Daredevil and Jessica Jones or I, oh, well, I think she's um, on one yeah. of the posters so I think yeah, yeah that's that's, I mean, that's been that's, that's she was in the tra- both trailers yeah. as well so. I mean, she's, the, she's actually the stealth star of the uh, the Netflix Marvel Universe yeah. Any, anything with Rosaria Dawson things worth watching I mean I yeah. saw the first episode last night and it's funny because I, I watched um, The Get Down in the same week and mm-hmm. that kind of vibe that both show, both of those shows have got going on they got you know incredible soundtracks great performers yeah. throughout and it's building a lot in Luke Cage there's a lot being set up there's characters being introduced that if you're readers of the comics you'll kind of go okay this is cool they're being quite um, yeah honest and true about the, the Luke's origins uh, and it's kind of like you know it makes me even more excited for kind of what they're going to do with Danny Rand and how are they going to introduce Iron Fist into this whole kind of world mm. that Luke's yeah. in so yeah it's a good start Paul your thoughts on the trailer yeah I've, I've seen about four trailers actually but it does look really lush I mean I'm not as big a fan of the comics, I man. I don't really know. I've, I've heard of the character, but um, yeah, it just his it, powers is he's a rock solid man and he's quite strong. But yeah, it, it looks like he's it looks really good. And it's sort of, of all the trailers I've seen this year, and I've seen pretty much every series that's coming back a trailer so far. Uh, it's just the one that stands out to me, and it's the one I'm most looking forward to. So that, I think they've done a good job already. It, it looks well directed. Yep. I think they've made a good choice on the actor. It's just, it just well, we want to see it. I'm jealous that Phil's already seen it. So that just <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks really good. All right, um, next bit. 2000 AD hit 2000 issues Keith you picked all three variant covers up yeah I became slightly obsessed about picking up all three of the cover options for 2000 AD because I've been reading it since it came out in 1977 so you know I was a lapsed reader in the 90s when I think yeah. it had a bit of a hard time um, but yeah they've, they've brought back Brian Bolland Mike McMahon Dave Gibbons to do little kind of one page inserts throughout the other stories so they're kind of hitting um, Judge Dredd is back in there, Strontium Dog's back in there, but they've got Peter Milligan and Rufus Dayglow doing a new uh, strip as well, which is really good, The Counterfeit Girl, which is you know, an interesting start. First episode, so it's looking back and looking forward, so you know, so 2000 is really never, strong. Yeah, if you've never read it before, best time to jump in. It's, it's, a, it's a good jumping on um, issue as well, and we've yeah. got the 40th anniversary of, the, of it coming up next year as well, so um, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those things, it's kind of part of everybody's uh, lexicon you know even if you don't remember something being in 2000 AD something somewhere will have influenced uh, been influenced by 2000 AD the look the feel the content of many films TV shows will have come from people's um, 2000 AD readings cool and Phil comic fan um 
So I, I read 2008 um, very, very briefly in the 90s when I was yeah. uh, much, much younger. But uh, yeah, I've, I've sort of that's, that interest has, has uh, got away from me uh, in yeah. recent years. Yeah, I think we can all blame the Stice Stone Dread, Dread movie for scaring people away from 2008. Yeah, and the, and the actual content of the magazine as well yeah. kind of slipped a little bit in the 90s when kind of Edgeman, the publishers at the time, kind of didn't know what to do with it. And yeah. It became a little bit kind of like trying to compete with things like Loaded and Nuts. It didn't really know it who the audience was. Yeah, yeah it became a lad's comic rather than a lad's uh, it's, a traditional comic. Yeah, in recent years it's back on form now that um, Rebellion have t- taken it over. It's c- it's come a long way. We've heard some great, you know, there's great characters in there. Sinister Dexter, Nikolai Dante. Yeah. You know, Judge Dredd goes from strength to strength really in terms of kind of like, a, this is a character who's been around for 40 years who has yeah. changed and progressed and not been rebooted like Batman and Superman have kind of like constantly been rebooted but Judge Dredd is a, is is a, a constant. constant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paul, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think the point about it I mean, I think uh, if I remember uh, Red Dwarf itself, I'm not in later series, Red Dwarf took some uh, influence from it. I think the Inquisitor was sort of based, quasi based on it. But yeah, I mean, there's one question I wanted to ask about is um, is Phil Jupiter's in it? Because I saw him tweeting and they made Phil Jupiter's into a character that was a cameo in the background or something. Does anyone know about that? I'll have to go back through and have a look. I didn't notice him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll have to keep an eye out for that one. They definitely made a character for him, but he's tweeting about it and he's really enjoying it. So like, it's got some celebrity super fans as well. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is influenced. Well, I think stuff like Farscape said they had some influences from it. So it is yeah. a legendary comic. And uh, I'm glad to hear it's back on track because all my comics fans said it wasn't good when I was when I was talking to them. So I'm, I'm glad it's back to its roots. Right, okay. So that's pretty much us from the studio this week. Next week we'll be back with EGX Part 2 covering off Windlands, JCB Pioneer Mars, Mantis Burn Racing. Uh, I'll also be reviewing a new novel from Wesley Chu, who is on angryrobotbooks.com. And this is another book in his IO series, so it's really interesting. Looking forward to that one. It's actually released this week uh, between... Get this right now. Side of move pages. <laughs> Sorry, two seconds. Yeah, it's released 4th of October on ebook, 5.49 available via Amazon and paperback 8.99 on the 6th of October. And what's it called? It is The Rise of Io by Wesley Chu. Sounds very interesting. It's a dystopian future. Earth is in the aftermath of a civil war between two alien factions. Ella Patel, thief, con artist and smuggler, is in the wrong place at the wrong time when on the border of a demilitarized zone when she happens on a man and a woman being chased by a heavily armed gang. The man freezes, leaving the woman to fight off five attackers before she come in. As she dies to both Ella and the man's surprise, the sparkling light that rises from the woman enters Ella instead of the man. So it sounds very interesting, and it's basically uh, she soon realises she'll be inhabited by Io, a low-ranking quasing who is involved in some of the worst decisions in history. So I'm really <laughs> okay. looking forward to getting my grips into that one, and I'll be reviewing that one next week. It's got a nice cover. The cover's really pretty nice good. Cover. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, angryrobotbooks.com if you want to order via that way. And they're actually doing an audible audiobook. Sounds a really interesting read. Cool. Thanks for, for that. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Paul. Uh, no problem. We'll all be back next week. Right, so now we're just going to be covering off the second or third and final part of our EJX coverage, including Ian Richardson, Simon Furman, Mark Lamming, PJ Holden, Rachel Stott, the Ellen Brothers, the GBs. You're listening to Geeky Brummy on Brum Radio. Here we are now with Ian Richardson. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, chaps? We're, we're good, well, thank you. you. We're having an excellent day here at Ice. Ice. Uh, you know the, the whole Birmingham comic scene. Uh, how did you get involved? How has it been? It's been very good. I've been in the comic scene for years, and Birmingham's a very kind of fruitful 
plays for comics and stuff. There's me and Ian Edgington and Phil Winslade and all the like stuff. I've been working comics probably on and off for about 15 years now. Started first professional work 2018. Judge Dredd, Mr. Dexter, all the likes and then before moving on to American comics stuff, doing the likes of a book called Noble Causes, having bits and pieces to do with Cowboys and Aliens, the film. Not long finished working on a Halo book for Dark Horse, regularly drawing covers for an American company called Xenoscape. Doing lots of things like horror takes on Little Red Riding Hood and Alice in Wonderland and stuff. And generally all of that keeping me off the streets. I mean, you mentioned one of my favourite all-time 2008 serials, which is Sinister Dexter. It's one of the things that I kind of know Dan Abnett quite well. I was talking with somebody else about it this morning and saying it's 2014, I think, since the last time we saw Sinister Dexter. And I'm just about to go back and work for 2018 again. So I need to find Dan so I can twist his arm and say, Dan, can we go and do some Sinister Dexter stuff again? Because that's... It's a shame I'd show you. I know it doesn't work for radio, but I've just done a Sinister Dexter sketch for somebody that I've just picked up this morning. So It's, it's funny because you, your work in 2008 was the first time I came across your work. And, and we'd, we'd spoken with Phil Winslade a bit earlier. And, and Dan Abnett just seems to be one of these writers that people love to work with. And he's, he's, he's a great guy. He's, I, and when you read Dan's scripts, they kind of... They just put the stuff out there for you without having to think about it too much. It's one of those you, you come across lots of different writers with lots of different versions of scripts and they do things in very different ways. And Dan's are one of those kind of scripts that are always easy to work from because the minute you read them, you've got that kind of vision in your brain straight away. But of course he's off doing famous American comic books these days, so he doesn't dally himself with the likes of us. Probably outside the industry, his name's not known more, because he's been fantastic titles, I mean, amazing work. Yeah, I mean, he kind of did a... um brought Guardians of the Galaxy back in Marvel he does a lot of the, the it does a lot of prose work for um, Warhammer as well yes, so very much so yeah yeah um, which again you'd think with that kind of Guardians connection it'd be kind of more prevalent in people's minds but uh, perhaps he's purposely sneaking under the radar and we don't realise this and, and as being a local artist as well yes. what, what do you think about the whole um, rise of kind of like the independent comic scene around the city it's a weird thing I mean I, I kind of appreciate it to a certain degree being a nostalgia and comics customer always being a nostalgia and comic customer so that's kind of my only exposure to kind of that and the recent small press day that I had there it's a weird thing being a comic artist you can kind of be quite it's quite an insular existence and speaking to somebody earlier and saying how I enjoy doing the cons because you actually get to go out and talk to people instead of just yourself not that I talk to myself all day so you mentioned about doing the Halo comics is that a very different kind of world to working in the kind of Marvel DC because you've got that established law there's an amount of books that I know there's established law in comics but do you feel a bit is it a little bit more restrictive on what they allow you to do in this series kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit it, 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 a lot of I suppose what people call licensed properties and stuff it's a very different animal which I, I kind of think in a, in a 
way is is a strange opposite because you get your Spider-Mans and you get your Batmans and you think people would be quite stringent about those huge characters and everybody knows them. But you do end up with quite a, a bit more freedom working on things like that as opposed to a licensed title with properties like Halo. They're very much on the money and it's uh, a double approval process because it has to go through the publisher and then it has to go through to 343 as well. The benefit of it, uh, especially for an artist like me, who I'm quite quite a reference-heavy artist, I enjoy using reference and stuff, they do give you a ton of reference. So it's almost there's a, a little bit of a comfort blanket that comes with it because you've always got that to refer back to, even if they are quite finickety about it. The ship designs especially, it's kind of, this is how the model looks in the game and this is how the model will look in your comic book garden what you want to do with it kind of I had um, I was speaking to somebody earlier and, and, and trying to explain to them there's always one particular thing that I remember on one of the Spartan armors there's a Spartan called uh, Tanaka she's got this blue metal piping around the side of her helmet and I'd drawn this one panel that was a, just a close up a real big close up that the piping had disappeared over the edge of the panel so it was essentially about three millimetres too long he got sent back and said can you redo that it's three millimetres too long. Really? Okay. So 2008 is coming up to its 2000th prog towards the end of this month. Is there uh, any artist or character that you would like to take a crack at in a future a future prog? Strangely enough, I've always, always had the soft spot for Sinister Dexter stuff. I think possibly because that was literally my first professional work. But then I've always liked Road Trooper stuff as well, which I've never ever had the chance to work on, which I always think that would be really and also Strontium Dark stuff, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. So I've always kind of been that sci-fi guy edge of things. Brilliant. Thank you very much, and much success in in, uh, all of your future endeavours. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Back at ICE, and I'm here with Simon Furman, the legendary Simon Furman from G1 Transformers Comics. Are you here with your own comic today, we believe? To the Death. Yeah, we're here specifically to launch To the Death, which is our uh, mine and Jeff Senior's new online digital comic. Uh, which is, the website has gone live today. You know, it's our launch day, so we're very sort of pleased about that. We've also launched our Kickstarter campaign, and it, it's kind of channeling a thing we used to do, which was Dragon's Claws back in the 80s. It's that vibe. It's sort of dystopian future, war on other worlds, and a last stand for a lost cause. I remember reading Dragon's Claws in the Marvel UK range back in the day, so it's really good. So, um, what is it about ICE, and what, was there anything about it that made you decide to launch today here? Well, I think we wanted ICE specifically because a lot of conventions have become multimedia. You know, there's film, TV, games, and sometimes comics can feel a little sidelined or, you know, tucked into a corner. And we wanted to be somewhere that was an out and out comic convention, and so ICE just seemed to fit the bill. It, it was kind of good for us to get to, it lots of kind of practical reasons, but mostly it's a comic convention, and we're launching our comic at a comic convention. That's what felt good, not just a film and Comic-Con or a something else, so that's why ICE. Do you think there's been a resurgence in the British comic scene in the last few years? Oh, well, I think generally the comic scene is looking healthy again. British comics, I'm not sure, but British creators doing things in other medium or in other forms, a bit like To the Death, where we're publishing on the web. I think, yes, I think British creators are still very much prominent and out there, and whether they're doing American comics or whether they're doing British comics in different formats, you know, 
whether it's in Aces Weekly or, you know, people are getting their stuff out there. And mostly it's helped by, you know, digital, which is such an easy and, you know, direct way of getting your, get, reaching your audience. You've worked with some incredible artists over your career. What's it been like working with Jeff on To The Death? Well, Jeff's always one of my preferred artists because he has this amazing kind of kinetic, visceral style. And you know that whatever you write, he's going to sort of take it and run with it and turn even a kind of a calm scene into sort of somehow full of tension and, and body language and, and dynamism. So I just love working with him. And to the death, we constructed more or less to showcase his art. We wanted something that was fast-flowing, kinetic, uh, action-packed, uh, you know, there's a whole world to build in it, and Jeff's, you know, one of the best at just kind of taking that leap into the future, imagining what it might be, and then drawing it back to a kind of gritty thing that you can still recognise. You know, this isn't a polished Star Trek whooshy doors future. This is dirty and gritty and, you know, more aliens, I suppose, you know, especially off-world. That was definitely kind of, you know, the Aliens vibe we were going for. You've said, you, as uh, we were talking about a little bit earlier, Tooth to Death, you've gone with a landscape format, which is probably direct opposite to the vast majority of comic books who always go for the portrait format. Was digital a big inspiration behind going for that landscape store? Yeah, I mean, we wanted the freedom of digital, and we wanted something that wasn't just a standard comic rearranged for digital format. We wanted something that looked like it was only ever meant to be viewed on the web. So we went for full-screen landscape frames, really. You know, we, I wrote the thing as a screenplay, which Jeff then had the freedom just to break down, pace exactly how he wanted. No number of pages. We absolutely just kept the, the, the action rolling. We knew it was just going to expand to whatever level it was and then we would finish it. There was no, you know, we didn't have to do issues. We, you know, we, we saw where we got to and then broke it up into smaller segments. So it's just a great deal of freedom. It looks a fantastic piece of work. And where would people find it online? Okay, well, the online site is www.2-the-death.com. Uh, you'll also find links to the Kickstarter through that. The graphic novel is only available through Kickstarter for this next sort of 28-day window we've got because we wanted it to feel exclusive and something you're not just going to be able to buy off the shelf down, you know, a month or two down the line. Uh, and then as soon as the Kickstarter is finished, episode one is up there now, free to view. Uh, as soon as the Kickstarter's done, episodes 2 to 18 will roll out in quite quick succession, regardless of the outcome of the Kickstarter. It, the, the digital will happen. Known quite well for your old Marvel UK Transformers G1 series of comics. Is that something you've carried forward into this? Is how you write the stories, those kind of things, is that part of how you've taken your distance? I mean, I think, I think we've been mindful of who our potential fan base is, and and we've given them, I think, what they might want. There's a, you know, the vibe of Dragon's Claws. There's a fearsome alien bounty hunter, or not bounty hunter, but something similar, who might be a bit like Death's Head. There's, uh, you know, there's some big chunky mechs in there for the Transformers fans. You know, I, I hope we've catered for our audience and given them kind of what they want and maybe what they've been wanting for nearly 30 years now. So that was where we were coming from. It looks like it would be a fantastic series, as you said on Kickstarter now so 
everybody go go and support this fantastic new book. Yeah, Simon's work's been fantastic over many, many years. I love, love his work. And um, there, there has been kind of rumblings of a return for Death's Head in the Marvel Universe. Would you, is, that, is that a character you'd like to go back to? Oh, you know, I'd love to go back. I'd do Death's Head any time. But, you know, I'm always pleased to see he's in the latest issue of X-Men 92, issue 6. And I'm just delighted. Every time he appears in a mainstream Marvel comic, I do a little jig on the spot. So, you know, whether or not I write him, I would be right behind the idea of more Death's Head, a Death's Head series, whatever they want to do. Because I just think he's a character who deserves his own series. Brilliant. Thank you very much for taking the time, Max, to talk to us, Simon. Thank you very much, guys. Now I am at the desk of Mark Lamming, who people might know is currently doing the Marvel adaptation of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Hi, Mark. Hello there. Here you are at ICE. Um, just tell us a little bit about you know, why you've come to the show, what you're getting out of the show, you know, what's it like meeting your fans? It's, Birmingham's always an area that I have, haven't been able to get to before, and ICE has been, from what I can see, getting bigger and bigger every year. The guest list is always impressive, and I've always liked Shane's attitude towards the way he organises things. So it's kind of a no-brainer to get in touch with him and ask if I could come along. You're here uh, on the top floor and you you are surrounded by A-list artists but also artists who are kind of starting out on their first career. Is that something about ICE that you enjoy that it, it's not just big names it is small press creators and new creators? Oh yeah definitely well I mean I, I come from self-published background so they're my people. I, I don't see there's any difference anyway it's just where your check comes from. At the end of the so of the titles that you're working on at the moment is there anything you can tell us about? I, I can't tell you about anything I'm doing except for I'm doing some covers for Valiant that's all I can tell you. Oh and IDW and another Star Wars cover for Marvel, but that, I can't say about anything else, I'm afraid. No, no spoilers here at the moment. We seem to be in the in the middle of a big resurgence of British publishing and British comics. Uh, and what do you think about that? The fact that, 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 that the ability to self-publish is, is is accessible to everybody at the moment. Well, it's great. I mean, when I was self-publishing, it was an expensive thing to do. You know, you had to go and get films made, and you had to um, make you know get all your colour separations done, and it, it was you know a lot more difficult than it is now. Where because of digital printing, it's meant that almost anybody can put together a really good-looking um, product, which I think is fantastic, rather than it being sort of staple photocopied stuff, which was where people would be for that same price. Are you actively involved in the British comic scene, or are you kind of more involved in the American side of things at the moment? I suppose, I, although most of my friends are involved with the, um, the UK side of things, I haven't really worked for, for British publishers other than self-publishing. So well, I have done some stuff for Titan, but... Um, but nothing that I would think of as anything other than US comics. Like. So where would you like to see British comics in the next five, ten years? I'd, um, British comics, I'd love to see the weekly comic book back in newsagents rather than in comic shop because, you know, that's where I found comics. I, I feel that our kids are missing out on all of that stuff that we, you know, when we had such diversity, you had adventure comics, chemo comics, and they weren't being relied on being sold with a piece of plastic or a TV time. And, and you know, I, I think we used to have such a rich mainstream comics um, industry in the UK. It's a shame it's just not there. Anymore. I agree totally. We've got, we've got things like 2000 AD, which is coming up to its 40th anniversary, and things like the Phoenix comic, which is doing quite well and has got a lot of good titles in. But yeah, I agree. It'd be good to see a lot more weekly comics for all ages, really. Oh, absolutely. And that all sex, you know, both sexes as well. You know, there were a lot more girl comics in the 70s than there were for boys. 
So, you know, it just shows you that there, there was an audience when I was at you for, um, you know, for good adventure comics for girls, human comics for boys. I mean, you, you know, yes, you have 2008, you've got the Phoenix, but, you know, we had hundreds of titles a week when I was a kid. You know, you couldn't possibly buy it, you know, as much as you dearly would like to. It'd be great to see your, your work in a regular monthly, weekly British comic. So I look forward to seeing that at some point, Mark. But thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hey everybody, John Barrowman here, and you are listening to Brum Radio. Here we are with the best-kept secret in British comics. Yeah, Mr. Mr. PJ Holden, whose work I've been following for many, many years, uh, from stuff that he's done in 2008 through uh, a book called Monsterology, also some of the war stories he did with Garth Ennis. Um, Hello, PJ. Hello, geeky Brummy. Um, So you're here with us today at ICE. Um, what is it about this particular show that attracts you? What do you like about the, the Birmingham audience? Um, well, what, particularly this particular show, what attracted me was Rob Williams emailing me saying, hey, I've booked a room, do you want to share it? That's what got me over. <laughs> um, but if I'm honest, I, I did. I used to come over to Birmingham to do, uh, I think it was Bix was the original, yeah. Uh, Bix, um, when there was only two comic shows in, in the UK, uh, and, and, and it was kind of it was the one where lots of comic people went to it, lots of comic creators and then over the years it sort of it died off a little bit and then the, the, those bigger shows came into focus which were a different flavour um, and then shows like this have kind of cropped up again where there are lots of comic creators and, and, and really I like, I like meeting the comic creators although when I used to come to the shows years and years ago my profile was different you know, I, I hadn't done any professional work I was looking for work and so I kind of came with very low expectations about you know, it was about meeting editors and meeting other comic creators. And then now I, I come to them. I'm not quite sure why I'm here, but I'm always pleasant, really pleasantly surprised when someone goes, oh, I really like your work. I've been watching it. You know, I've been following it for years. I'm what? Really? How is that? That doesn't... In my head, I'm still the same person who came to these shows 10 years ago, but I, I, everything outside of that has changed. And because I don't come to the UK shows so much, um, the, that gap is so big that, for me, I haven't changed very much. But for everyone else, they haven't seen me in so long or haven't seen my work in so long. So when somebody sees me, I, it, it's always odd to me that they, they know who I am and I don't know who they are. It's, it's very strange. It's partially because as well you, you did a, a podcast called The Sunnyside Comics. So again, we were talking to the Geek Syndicate guys earlier on and they, they forget how far-reaching these podcasts are. People do tune in and listen to them. Yeah, it, it all, I mean, that, that always surprised me. I made some great friends from doing that, that particular podcast. And But you're, I mean, it's like doing comics all day. You're sitting in your room on your own, working at a drawing table, sending stuff to an editor, you know, going out with your family and then coming back, doing more. And, and you spend a couple of years doing that and you forget it has any sort of impact. Although, I mean, weirdly, I always tell friends of mine, the friends of mine that want to break into comics, I always say, look, um, what you've got to do is get your work out there because you're causing ripples. Now, they might be small ripples. They might, they might not feel like they're ripples to you. They might You don't know what's happening. But really, when you throw a stone on, in the water, there's a little ripple cover you know, on the surface. But underneath, you don't know what you've disturbed. And that's uh, maybe disturbs the wrong word. You don't know what you've what you've moved and what you've changed. And, and it's only when you go then into... I'm, I'm extending this metaphor ridiculously, but only when you go out to that pond and dip your, your feet in it that you realise that, oh, you've dislodged a crab. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because, I mean, I first saw, I first saw your work uh, in 2008, and then I'm kind of followed it on through things like Number Cruncher and Monster, Monsterology and um, the Garth Ennis War Story stuff that you do. So are you working on anything particular at the moment? 
Oh, I always, I'm always struggling with what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say. Uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah, um, I'm doing a new series for 2000 AD called Hunted with uh, Gordon Rennie. I, it's set in New Earth, uh, which is rogue uh, troopers stomping ground so I think I can talk about that a little bit which is a, a nine part series which is pretty cool um, and, I, and I, I've got other things I'm doing so I'm not not busy but I don't know what I can this is the problem with when you're the artist and you're drawing this stuff your lead time is months and months and months and because of the peculiar way comics works by the time these books come out you'll have forgotten about it you know you're no longer drawing it it's it's long gone um, so you kind of but when you're supposed to tell people what it is you've forgotten yourself so I, that, that's what I can tell you right now yeah, are we likely to see any more monstrology I hope so I certainly hope so um, book one uh, it's one of my favourite things and um, Gordon and I really love doing it so uh, I really want there to at least be a third book I mean uh, I think there are plans for more but really it depends if we can find readers if people go to the Renegade Arts website and order it and buy it and read it and enjoy it and write to the publisher and, and let us know that they like it. We'll know there's an audience. So 2000 is coming up for its 2000th prog uh, in the next few weeks. Is there a, a writer or a title or a character you'd like to have a crack at in 2000 In 2000 uh, I've been really lucky in that the stuff that's on my wish list, that was always on my wish list, Dread, Rogue Trooper, um, Sinister Dexter... Uh, those things I've managed to do, you know. Um, I think the only thing I'd really, I really haven't done that was something I've always wanted to have a, at least one little go at was was slain. Uh, but even then, I, you know, I don't necessarily know if my artwork would suit slain. But it, it was one of those things as a kid. I, I looked at the artwork and went, wow. But my, I mean, my ambition really for 2008 is to do. I love doing dread. I can do dread till the cows come home. I can do more and more dread. I'd love to do, so I've done a couple of things with John Wagner, I'd love to do more with John, um, but I really I really love doing uh, Dread, and I'd love to do something completely new that, that the readers haven't seen, something that comes, I've never had a series take off, I've done a couple of series from start um, for 2080, but I've never had anything come in and really sort of, you know, knock people out, and I'd love to do something like that, but for the life of me I can't think of what it might be. Would there be a particular writer that you'd want to work with? Well, I'm really super lucky. I mean, I I love Al Ewing. I love Gordon Rennie. Gordon I've worked with for years and years and years. Um, I love Mike Carroll, Rob Williams. Um, I haven't worked with Robbie Morrison. It'd be nice to be fun to do something with him. Um, I've worked with uh, Dan Abnett. um, And, you know, I've worked with a bunch of the new new writers, you know, uh, Liam Moore, John Ripien. I've worked with them on other things, non-2080 things. Um, so I can't, I, you know, I, I think I've been lucky to work with everyone that, that I would consider on a wish list. And now as a kind of, uh, my, my, my theory has always been that if you work in comics long enough, you'll work with everyone else in comics. It's just the nature of the beast, you know. So um, it'd be fun to work with them all at some point, check them all off my list. Brilliant. Well, thank you for taking the time out to talk to us, PJ. I've loved your work for many, many years, uh, and I wish you all the success. Oh, well, thank That's lovely of you to say so. Thanks very much. And you should keep listening to Geeky Brummy. And now we're here with Rachel Stark, who is uh, one of my personal favourite artists, working on some um, incredible titles over the past few years. Uh, hello, Rachel. Hello. Um, so just tell me a little bit about kind of uh, why you're here at ICE and what you like about actually meeting some of your fans. Uh, I really like it because it's very comic-focused, it kind of reminds me of Thought Bubble in that way um, and it's it's not too gigantic and it's not like too uh, out of control it's like nice sort of a uh, range of 
artists and creators, like mainstream and independent, and uh, yeah, and everyone's very friendly, and I like the Midlands, because I come from here, so. So you've worked on some really interesting titles over the past, past few years, um, Star Trek, Star Trek and Planet of the Apes, and now you're doing a lot of uh, Doctor Who work. Is there, is there any kind of um, thing that, that took you to those titles? How did you get involved with them? Uh, basically, the first thing I ever worked on was Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, so I got hired from that just from my portfolio uh, that got seen at a convention. Uh, and yeah, and then from working on that, the Doctor Who people were like, oh, she can draw a half-decent face. <laughs> Let's hire her for Doctor Who, and then I've been doing that for a few years. So yeah, I've just been really, really lucky that I've been working on stuff I am a massive fan of myself. Do you find it difficult to work with um, publishers who are not in the UK? Does the time delay have any difference, or is it easier to work with people like Titan who are kind of UK-based? I kind of like working with uh, me and IDW, who are based, I think, in California, because the time difference means that when I get up in the morning, I've got a few hours until my editor gets to her desk, so I can get as much work done as possible, and then when she gets there, it makes me look like I'm very prompt. <laughs> Whereas with Titan, it's like, because they're on my schedule, I, I feel, it. Always, even though it's the same, because it makes no difference, it always feels like I'm a bit like, oh God, last minute. So yeah. <laughs> So is there, a, is there a title or a character that you haven't had a chance to work on yet that you'd love to have a go at? Uh, I always say the Fantastic Four, but they're not really being published at the minute, so it's a bit of a uh, sad dream because they might never be published again, but if they are, I'd love to do the Fantastic Four. I think that's, a, that's an internet campaign we can all get behind for you to, to be doing the Fantastic Four. Um, one of the great things about ICE is the fact that you're here you know, as, as what I would consider to be kind of one of the, the A-list of comics creators at the moment. But you're here amongst other creators who are kind of just starting out on that journey and Shane's organising things like Comics Uncovered. Um, what do you think about the resurgence of kind of independent comics and self-published comics in the UK at the moment? Oh, I think it's wonderful. I mean, it's obviously been helped out by the internet and things like that because now it's so cheap to make your own comic book. I mean, before it was a lot more niche and, you know, it was harder to access the information because you'd be at home going, I want to make a comic book, but I don't know how. And now you can just draw your own and it's fairly easy to get all the technology to do it and then you can just upload it online. You don't even need to print it. Uh, so I think it's wonderful because it just means you get a much wider variety of voices coming into the industry, um, which is always good because it just adds to it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, Rachel, today. It's all right. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers in the 25th century, and you're listening to Brum Radio. Here we are now at one of, the, one of my favorite tables at the whole ice show. The wonderful Etherington brothers are here. Hello. Hello, I'm Lorenzo. And I am Robin. I've seen your work quite a few moons ago. My kids are big fans. I'm big fans. Uh, and it's been great to see you doing work in the Phoenix comic, which has been coming out over the last few years. Just tell us a little bit about why you come to ICE, what you get out of meeting your fans, and what you're working on, and what's coming up next for the uh, the brothers. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I mean we've been uh, attending comic shows for about ten years now, and uh, I think we first came to Birmingham maybe ooh, seven, eight years ago, something like that. Yeah, back when it was Bix before it became ICE, and. I mean, it was a great show then. It's a, it's a fantastic show now. The the beauty of the conventions is that you do get to meet your fans face to face, but more importantly, you get to meet new readers. And this is something that you know you, you see over time is that 
the connections you make with the the readers, young, old, new, you know, or established, it is priceless because they they want to come and uh, discuss your work and they want to talk about the work and they want to see what else you've got new to bring them. And year on year, show on show, we, we find that that audience is one of the most consistent you can ever find. I mean, you know, we sell, like I said, we're, we're, we're published regularly in the Phoenix and that's kind of, that's a readership that has a turnover, you know, as all kids comics do. The readers that we actually make at, at, the, at the conventions through face-to-face interaction, they come back f- forever. I mean, we, we've watched some, some kids we saw, they were eight or nine years old when they first met us. One guy we met at a convention recently it was, uh, was just about to graduate from university and we were thinking to ourselves, well, it's terrifying, but at the same time, he was still enthusiastic about the books and the work and the connection was still there and he felt like we were still serving him, which was... <laughs> I didn't pay you and you didn't give me the book. <laughs> PJ's just coming over. He's, he's been fleeced by the brothers. He's paid for books he's not received. So, yeah. He was theft on me and his behalf, our behalf, I'm not quite sure. Everybody stole from everyone there. He was, he was trying to foist you with some kind of foreign <laughs> notage. Yeah. He gave me some money I didn't recognise and that's okay and then we didn't give him a book so it worked out quite nice. But yeah, I mean, this, this show's been lovely today, you know. It, it's, it's going to, you know, we, we, we come from Bristol and um, quite a lot of the shows are up north, you know, Lakes and, and uh, Thought Bob and stuff like that. And it's great coming up here because this is a readership that we just won't meet down south. And, you know, um, they won't necessarily travel down to London shows and stuff. So it's brilliant to come up here. Birmingham shows, having done them before, you know, a few years ago and now coming back to them, there's just like a certain attitude at the, at the Birmingham cons where everyone's super friendly. They're actually really interested, but they're interested in discovering new stuff as well which is great for us because we're quite often something new to people when they come to a show um, and so yeah it's been great again to just see once again lovely people coming around all interested all wanting to talk all wanting to engage you know and, and, and that's a great experience for us so. we create quite not niche but we create all ages kind of titles that are very uh, positive you know they're they're fun comedy action adventures and in a, in a comic book shop, that stuff's often lost, you know, it gets shelved and people don't necessarily know where to find it. Best thing about these shows is you're right there, they can see all your work spread out, they can, they can, yeah, you, that's it, you create a mini shop and as they pass by, they, they can walk into that world for, you know, 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever else, and they can really get a flavour of what you do from meeting you. I think that's what makes the comic cons, the shows, and, and you know, ice in particular, a very unique experience. Agreed. So, do you think there's been a, a marked resurgence in British comics, British publishing over the past few years? Because you know, it used to be you had things like Marvel UK and 2008, he's been there for ages, but um, the kind of kids' comic markets seem to kind of die off in, in the last few years. And Phoenix has definitely kind of resurrected that and kind of quite notably choosing its title. I think it went, it went somewhere. But do you think the small press, and here today, I mean, you're in a room that's full of, of world-famous artists, but also people who are kind of first publications, first uh, books that they're pushing out. Do you think there is a big resurgence in that kind of comic books at the moment? Yeah, I, I think I think there definitely is. I think what we've seen over the years, um, and what you see really well at shows like this, is exactly what you just described. You see, you see the veterans, you see the guys like us who have been doing it for quite a few years and are established, and then you see the, the new creators, the next generation coming through. And the nice thing about Comic Cons is that energy coming from the, the, the ones that are starting out and us guys in the middle and the guys at the top all mixes together. And I think in terms of publishing in the UK, I think that is reflected in what's on the shelves now. I think you can go out of your way and find really interesting independent titles for children, not just comics, but also graphic novels, which are being created you know, as books from the start. You've also got titles like The Phoenix, which gathers together 
you know, a whole group of different creators like us and other, there's some other guys from Phoenix here today, I think, you know, puts them under one roof, which helps kids to be introduced to loads more. Um, and then I think, yeah, you've got the established titles like 2000 AD, um, which have weathered the storm of publishing for the past 40 years, which is quite incredible for titles to still be going through that. And so I think the re it's a resurgence in that people are stopping thinking that a comic has to be, a, that a comic is a genre, you know, that, that going a comic book is just a medium and realizing that kids' comics, um, young adult comics, right up to sort of what are classed as adult comics, can all exist and there's a space for them all. And I, I think it's really important that we see that if you want older readers, if you want people to love comics into their adult years, then you've got to give them something that's good when they're kids. You know, the, we grew up on asterisks, such a high watermark of writing and art, and that made us think that's how good you've got to be if you want to do this job. And, and, and you know, we meet a lot of kids, not only at these shows, but at the, the events and stuff we do around the country. And you realize the responsibility when you talk to kids. Like, this is a part of their childhood you're giving them. You give them something good, it enriches their childhood, it helps them to sort of set their own standards higher. And down the line, that benefits everybody from other creators to publishers to everyone. So I think that, yeah, there's a resurgence in that people have realized that making quality for kids pays off. And you don't just have to sell them a franchise product with, you know, in a comic form. You can actually give them something new. And children are always willing to try out something new, unlike adults who decide what they like. Children are will be introduced to something new and, and will then decide at that point whether they like it or not. Whereas adults make their mind up before they've read it usually. So, you know, I think that's the benefit. And so the bigger the broader range of stuff we offer kids, um, the better it is for everybody. Agreed. <laughs> uh, the only thing I'd really add is I think part of the resurgence that you've seen is because the landscape surrounding the creatives has changed quite drastically. It's like there was a time when there was a really, you know, stable industry to a certain degree and a lot of gatekeepers, yeah, a lot of gatekeepers, but there was an industry and, you know, comics were being produced in a certain way and that all fell down. And what came out of it was a lot of people had to go and look for other work and then a lot of guys who were coming up during that sort of turmoil were just making it for the love. And we came up through the scene where there were far more veterans and far fewer mid-tier creators. There was a lot of people who had been doing it for a very long time and there was a lot of new guys trying to cut their teeth. There were very few people in that middle band and it was just turnover. Turnover, not so much at the top, but at the bottom. It was just churn in the indie scene. And, you know, I look around today and I think, well, almost 100% of the creators here weren't there when Lorenzo and I were kind of coming up sort of 2003, 2004. Um, but... This, this this kind of sea change of a mentality and approach to the page has just benefited the quality of the work and the fact that people have opened their arms to creating stuff that's for a broader marketplace because they suddenly realise that it really isn't like a specific niche you have to fit into anymore. You can do what exactly what you want because you're hobbying it more than trying to go, I've got to find a way to become the next 2000 AD creator, the next Beano artist, whatever it is. Um, and it's just, it's just brilliant. It's so refreshing. But, you know, these are the guys who are, they've, watched, they've been watching The Simpsons for 15 years. They've been, you know, they're watching uh, Adventure Time and they're getting inspiration from a whole bunch of different sources and it's all bleeding into the artwork and everything is kind of a bit more fun. And they're not worrying about making a career at this point. They're just trying to make something that makes the guys at the tables around them go, wow, I love what you're doing. And... That is exactly how we started. We just wanted the people around us to think, what are these guys doing, you know? And and over time, it's funny that, you know, we, we I guess we didn't really think it was gonna change. We, uh, when we were early on, we thought everyone was thinking like we were. 
and then we realized they weren't and then and then all of a sudden it did kind of come in and all of a sudden all these people were like i'm just gonna make the thing that really makes me happy and and i'm just gonna put everything i can into it and now i look around the standard is so high it is so the amateur comic creator if that is even a term the indie creator is is punching as hard as you know half the professionals and you're like that is a challenging position to be in and it's great because you've got to really you know pick up raise your game you've got to really get get on it every day yeah it's, it's amazing it is we're for a country with with almost no comic industry to speak of we are producing a very large number of very talented writers and artists. It's pretty impressive. Couldn't agree more. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and you guys are, are definitely kind of in that kind of top tier for me. Your, your work looks amazing, and the designs and the graphics that you do is fantastic. So, if people are interested in finding your work, where can they find and get interested with you online? If they put our name into Google or any search engine, Everton Brothers. It's a bit of a big name, though. What we found now is if you just put comic making brothers into google you'll find us on the first page so we're doing well on that algorithm yeah we have we have a blog uh the Edmonton brothers blogspot.co.uk.com you can find us we post almost every day of the week new artwork all of our releases we tour the country at festivals and comic shows and schools they can meet us anywhere they can get hold of us on twitter at at etherington bros and uh yeah anybody wants to ask us anything about anything just drop us a line. wonderful thank you for taking the time out to have a chat with us today our pleasure thank, thank you, you very man. much thanks for having us here we are at ice with the wonderful gb's comics um regular listeners might have heard them previously when we were at birmingham comics festival and small press day hello again how are you doing i'm good good to see you both how are you we're good thank you we're very very nice thank you very much so how are things at ice you're a regular regular attendee um so what is it about this particular uh, comics event that you, you enjoy first of all it's local i'm you know i'm i'm birmingham based where it's where it's where it all began really we launched the grand tour our first book at the very first ice three years ago and also i don't know if you were aware of a comics launch pad which shane and james ran here at the studios in birmingham as well and that's where the whole thing the whole enterprise of the GBs sprang from was the uh, the initiative of what led us here. So it's kind of our Christmas. We're we're here. We, yeah. we we see local people. We know. We I say we've been doing ice every year now, and so yeah, we know a fair few people around, which is both good and bad. Hey, I get to I get to talk to a lot of people. Don't sell them. Don't sell as much as I do at out-of-town places, but I get to see a lot of people and talk to, talk to others, talk to yourselves and other people who don't have broadcast facilities, and so just have a good day. Biggest takeaway for me here is the focus on getting small press and actually some big press together into the same room. It's really great to see. It's fantastic to see the range and diversity of creators that you get. I mean, what do you think about Birmingham's, uh, Birmingham and Britain's comic scene? I think as... Yeah, I've I've read read comics all, all my life. Yeah, I grew grew up with British comics, whether that was the reprints of Marvel UK, whether that was original stuff from DC Thompson through Buddy, and then on to IPC for Battle Action, Battle Action, and then 2000 AD. So British comics have always been impressive and, and big. And then you come to conventions such as such as I, such as the, the more focused on comics. You know, BC before that and Bix before that where you come along and you go oh there are people who are a lot like me the other side of the table from where I am as a punter and it's it's amazing how quickly and how relatively easy it is to make that step from 
punter to, to creator. And it's amazing how much, once you are behind the table, everyone's like, oh, wow, what's the secret? And, and it's kind of like, there isn't one, just do it. And you get that support, and it, whether it's verbal support, whether it's just seeing people you know do so well. And yeah, it's, it's yeah, personally, it's not a competition for me. You look around, you know, I, there, there are people I know here who I met at the Comics Launchpad. Um, Mike Garley, who's got the kill screen, was was far ahead of us when I first met him, and he's doing brilliant. Rachel Stock, who is now internationally renowned, and working for Titan and DC and other of the major publishers. And I remember getting drunk in a pub with her after a launch party for Bit for BC. And it's kind of you see how far some people can go and how far your friends go and you celebrate that and yeah you see how far yeah i've got i've now got two books i've got a third issue coming at the end of the year i've got a lot of things happening with me and it's so yeah i can never imagine me doing this yeah and it's been like five years since comics launchpad and it's just great to have have these kinds of events to celebrate and continue because that's the other thing about this particular weekend is we've got today which is all about kind of um, meet the creators but he's also got the comics uncovered event tomorrow which again is another inroad for people who are interested in starting a a journey into the industry to come and learn from those people that have got into it oh yeah i mean it's what shane's done with this this event you know you've got the show today for a lot of people you can talk to uh, the, the professionals you can talk to, the independents, and then tomorrow the tables have dis- uh, disappeared. So yeah, you'll find yourself sat in the bar next to someone who's just given a talk on how to get into writing, or yeah, you, you get talking to someone, and yeah, the barriers are down. Stuff like comics uncovered, you can you can you can have the talk, you can get inspired, and then you can follow that up with talking with people, either people at the same level. As you, yeah, the amount of collaborations that happen at these places where, yeah, because a lot of people, we, we spoke about this at uh, Small Press Day about how a lot of the creators can be, are individuals and they can be separated from others. And it's kind of, yeah, the biggest stumbling block for me as a writer, finding artists to put my ideas into pictures. Events such as this, such as tomorrow's uh, comics uncovered you'll find artists you'll meet artists and things can happen projects can suddenly spring into life from that so it's it's an amazing it's an amazing event that Shane puts together every year yeah so if you could sum up in one sentence about any aspiring comic creators how to start what would you say to them as a writer as a writer I would say get get out there and start talking to to people go to if, if there's a not if there's a drink and draw anywhere in a, near you if there's if there's any kind of art event go to it got get talking to the artists and get people and find the collaborators if you're if you're a decent artist yourself start putting stuff together start just Think, think about your project if you have a project in mind think about it really, I'm, I'm a great believer in you it's got it's got a you can only start when once you're ready but you can there are things that you can make that can make you ready for it so yeah if, if you've got characters in your head write them and know everything about them 
and then you'll be ready so you know when you're confronted by people doing a podcast that you'll be able to give them the biography of your characters at the drop of the hat without having to think about it and it's just progress believe and talk to find find the others would be my advice brilliant thank you steve thank you very much thanks for listening to this brum radio podcast if you've enjoyed it please consider joining our listener supporters you can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash brum radio brum radio shows are streamed online at the brum radio mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com